0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Trade for Life Redeemed. I'm your host, Dan, and as always, I am joined by my father, David Jackson, and we are currently going through the book of 1 Timothy. We are about to start Timothy uh, chapter 3 and do chapter 4 as well together, and so I hope that you enjoy this. We're looking at deacons and apostasy and all kinds of stuff. So, Dad, when it comes to overseers and deacons or elders and deacons or whatever that... I think these days we have so many different words we use for an overseer. Yes. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us what just the basic differences are between the two of them? Uh, Originally in Acts, the story goes that uh, Peter didn't want to wait on tables. He thought that was a bit below him, and so (laughs) he wanted to focus on (laughs) uh, teaching people and uh, praying. Uh, It's interesting. Actually, I I realized the other day when I was chatting to my uh, DNA group that Peter doesn't say that he... Devoting himself to preaching, he says he's devoting himself to teaching, which we had a bit of a debate about yeah. in terms of whether he's preaching and evangelizing still, or if he's actually focusing a bit more on discipling uh, at that point as well. But that's that's a bit of a side a side thing. Let's start with the the differences between an overseer and a deacon. I, I
1: actually think that's part of the part of the yeah the the DNA of what's going on here. Um, one of the elders at my church when we were looking at these studies on Timothy asked the question, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? And so I did a quick word search, took me back to seminary days. The difference is whether you're talking to outsiders or insiders. Yeah. So if you're talking to outsiders, you're preaching, you're announcing, you're giving them something they haven't heard before. Whereas if you're talking to insiders, hopefully you're delivering the whole counsel of God, you're teaching Genesis to Revelation, uh, and you're training people and their disciples. So... Teaching is the main focus of people they called overseers or elders. So, in, back in Acts 6, um, Peter looks at this thing and he says, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, I'm doing everything. Um, you know, you've got us organising the money, you've got us handing out food to widows, you've got me trying to run a Bible study over here, I'm up in the temple, I'm down here in your homes, give me a break. <laughs> so, out of that, um, It's a division of labour. And it's funny the language he uses this deacon word. Deacon means to serve or minister, and it's the word for somebody who's a waiter in a restaurant. So Peter says, uh, you go and wait on tables, you deacon the tables, I'll deacon the word of God. So it's like I've got two plates here, one's got bread on it and one's got a Bible on it. Yeah. Um, And the elders are going to do the Bible stuff and you guys go and organise the rest. Um, so it's a it's a brilliant division of labour. Um, I know you've been thinking about all of that with your <laughs> all your teaching and and uh, professional development stuff. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the division between uh, the teacher's role and the the role of all of the other people that have all the other things to do?
0: Yeah, so I'm just working on a book at the moment, uh, which is what Dad's talking about. That has to do with how you can teach more effectively as a teacher and save yourself some time. And one of the things I talk about. In there is the idea of uh, we we take our teachers and we promote them into head teachers into deputy roles, uh, but what that tends to mean is that they just get lots and lots of admin stuff and they don't actually get to uh, action or be doing the stuff that you want them to be doing in terms of supervising teachers and helping them to progress and get really uh, and get better and making sure the curriculum is actually done well, all that kind of stuff. I don't have as much time to devote to that because I keep getting taken up with just extra admin duties, whether it be discipline or or anything like that. And so uh, in this book, I talk a little bit about the idea of actually hiring people for the tasks and not for their roles and talking about how if your head teacher, you should list their tasks, what you want them to do. They should be supervising other teachers, looking after things, and all the admin stuff should actually go to an admin person, someone who's trained in it, who knows what they're doing with admin, who can probably do it better in less time, uh, and is then allowing the teacher to become more effective and impactful in what they're doing, and so you see that a lot in business too. You know, your big CEOs and stuff—they all have executive assistants and personal assistants to help them to make sure that they are actually being as effective as they can be in their leadership or and that kind of stuff. And they will actually delegate a lot of the management type stuff to another person.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what we're looking at here with pastors and deacons. You're looking at a pastor whose job or an elder or overseer whose job is to teach, to disciple, to train, to rule. And they have to be exemplary people. Um, You you appoint the wrong person in that role, uh, and the whole church falls apart. Um, And he says, you know, somewhere along there, you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. Uh, This is a really, really important job. And 1 Timothy 3. Is the passage in the Bible that gives us the most information about appointing pastors and or elders and deacons. Um, but the deacon, I think, is the most undervalued job in the church, and I don't think our churches have grasped the power of appointing deacons. Uh, and I, that that would take us back to Acts six again, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, but this whole concept of um, you know why, how can you expect the person whose job is to rule the church and teach the church the Bible and expect them to be the one that engages the wider community. It's the deacons that engage the wider community and because they're the ones out there opening doors and getting into people's homes with service and ministry and getting to know the neighbours and all the rest of it. And they are the ones who then bring the teams together of the believers in the church to go and do the work. ministry. Uh, The problem is we set up these what I would call welfare ministries out in the community and then we hire non-Christians to do it. So we set up a Christian school and you hire non-Christian teachers. You set up a a nursing home and you hire non-Christians to work in there. And we're discovering that if you go back to Acts 6, those deacons were articulate Spokesman for the faith, and you end up stoning Stephen to death. Not because they didn't like the bread he delivered,
0: because <laughs> he's be- delivering a huge long sermon. <laughs>
1: because he's out there, people are getting healed. He's explaining the gospel. They bring him up before the court. Uh, the, the the deacon who does Meals on Wheels is smarter than the whole Sanhedrin when it comes to defending the you know the Bible. Uh, the, the, these are these are not inferior roles. They're, they're the legs on the whole machine. So we want to, this body of Christ concept we talked about last week with husbands and wives having separate functions uh, and the desperate need of a man for a wise woman. With um, you know, I can have all the ideas in the world, but I don't know how to make it work. Yeah. Uh, my wife could run the whole country as you well know (laughs) and sometimes i think she does (laughs) but you just look at the administrative gifts and and ability that are there and then you look at if i tried to do that it would just crash Hmm. um i've got to do my job and let her do her job and if we work together the job gets done
0: yeah Uh it's like even just reflecting on what we're doing at the moment like i feel like my role at the moment is very much more deacon-like <laughs> and you're very much more elder-like because you're the one focusing on the, doing all of the teaching. I'm doing the, the service of getting it out there. <laughs> well, and, and teaching Dad how to do technology. This is you know, generational shift. Okay, Dad. So uh, there is some debate in this passage about whether or not uh, women can be deacons. Yep. Uh, so do you want to just clarify that? Uh, that doesn't seem to mention anything about women and elders and overseers. Okay, so deacons. Uh, It's clear that a deacon has to be husband of
1: one wife. We're not having a lot of polygamous people running around. But in the middle of that, between deacon and deacon, he talks about women. And Some people speculate, oh, that must be the deacon's wives. There's nothing in there about wives. This is about deacon, deacon, and he just does one little verse in the middle about women in the middle of that context of deacon's.
0: Yeah. So it makes sense that that's not a female deacon. We're talking about female <laughs>
1: deacons. If you're a male, male deacon, you've got to be a one-woman man. If you're a female deacon, there, there's issues that the women are going to encounter that the, that are slightly different to the men. So we'll just give that a little verse in the middle. But, yeah, when you go through the Bible, there's this beautiful case of Phoebe, and he describes her as a, a minister of the church. Now... The way he's phrased that indicates that that's an official job. Yeah, you look it up in Romans sixteen. So definitely, we've got men and women deacons, and we've got a male headship as overseers elders. So that's the pattern.
0: Okay, now we're moving on to chapter four. Yep, chapter four is all about apostasy and really it talks a lot about sticking to the faith or the true faith or the deep faith and (laughs) the deep truths of the faith. Yeah, so, can you explain, what, what's he referring to? Like, people would, does that just mean all of the Bible? Does it mean just certain sections of it? Like, what are the, these key truths that are being passed on? Because it's kind of a recurring theme throughout Timothy, this, this aspect.
1: Yeah, you when you get these false teachers, I mean, Jesus said, in the last days you're going to get false prophets and false teachers. Well, you know, we're full of them. Yeah, (laughs) Um, they're all around the place, and if you get on the internet, they're almost impossible to avoid. So it's out there. One of the things these guys do is they claim to have a deeper knowledge of God, of the text, of everything. Now, if you're going to deal with them, (laughs) you can't just do it off John three sixteen. Yeah, you've got to have some depth to your knowledge of the Word of God, and. What Paul, if you look at what Paul's telling Timothy to do, um, he's got to focus on uh, teaching at greater depth than has been happening in Ephesus. He's got to uh, fix his eye on the hope of the living God, who's the savior of all men. So keep Jesus central to your teaching. You know, you don't go off and do the whole Bible as a Aesop's Fables or a Mother Goose. Mm. You know, that's not the moral of the story. It's about Jesus. And then he does this little thing, um, which I really like, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting and teaching. So it's something, I, I mean, I'm not a great fan of prayer book liturgies, but the, Sanhe- the, the synagogues in that day and the church all through the Middle Ages organized that as part of their morning and evening worship they and in their gatherings, they would read the whole Bible through at once. Well, over a year, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, they've got a <laughs> calendar of Bible readings, and you know, you go and look at the back of an old Anglican prayer book, and you've got your Bible readings for the year. Um, if you get on to uh, you was it you version, yeah, U version. you know, they've got all these different Bible reading plans. The idea was when you get up in church, if you just turn up at church on a Sunday morning. Over every, a cycle of every one, two, three, five years, you should have heard the Bible read over and over all through your life. Yeah. And your minister should be preaching his way through the whole text. Um, so Paul does this boast, I have not failed to deliver to you the whole counsel of God. You know, and we, we set out at the beginning of any man's ministry, he should set out to say, I'm going to deliver to you over the next 40 years of my career I will have preached the whole Bible, not just the popular books. When we sat down and planned a children's program... Um...
0: Yeah, I just did one. I've been putting yeah. it out. It just goes the whole way through the so Bible. So what's your guiding principle? Yeah, cover everything in the t- in the text. Yeah. From Genesis I... through to Revelation. And I basically cover a lot of narrative with my younger kids yeah. because it's easier for them to understand the narratives and you can you know, they link that to Jesus quite easily and then you move your way into the more direct teaching, and then your last thing is you kind of bring in all your passages that adults struggle with all the time. <laughs> yeah. So you do you do narrative
1: before abstract. Yeah. Um, and you're blending, you know, the, the wisdom literature, the history literature, the, the epistles, or you're sort of the coach of the team getting in there and telling you how to make it work. It's training for godliness. Um, and you've if you don't go through the whole text, you know, you've only trained your left leg, <laughs> <laughs> you know the other one's looking a bit lame. You, it, it it takes real. We talked about earlier self discipline to do mm. this.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask. Say this passage talks. Um, it's a nice verse that really relates well to our our whole name. Really training yeah. for life redeemed. It talks about the the higher priority of training for godliness um, in this passage. And I think uh, yeah, studying a text helps with that. But what else goes into training for godliness? Practice, 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 practice. Um, Get some feedback. (laughs) Yeah, getting feedback,
1: getting coaching. um, Going and finding people who do it really, really well. And you know, if you're gonna, somebody said to me a long time ago, David, if you're gonna go to theological college and spend four years of your life, it's not for the ticket. It's for what you're gonna learn. So don't waste four years just at the whatever Bible college is cheapest. Go and find the best to spend your four years at. Go go and get the best teachers, and if you can, get into their homes. So one of the things I did as a young man is I, I finagled my way into getting invited back for Sunday lunch, <laughs> and it was some of the best experiences of my life, because um, we got to you know we got to sit at Sunday lunch with men who were our teachers with their families and see what this looks like on the ground. And it was from that that I came back. You know, when I got married, Pat and I used to go around to some of these homes too. We had them come into our home and we'd look at what does godliness look like when it's mature and when it's been done by somebody who really has worked at it. That's what I want for my life. Uh, and that's what that's the whole reason Paul's writing to Timothy. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Um, you know, you and I, bo- <laughs> you and I both know um, there was a time when I had Heart surgery, um, and a time before that when I wasn't feeling real great, and you finagled us in to go into going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dad, I got this cheap deal at the gym. Yeah, you want to join us? And we went and lifted weights and did all that stuff. But getting up in the morning to go to the gym is not an exciting thought, <laughs> I have to say. Um, and that's why people, you know, spend a fortune and then drop out three months later. Yeah, they haven't got the self-discipline to keep going. And I think, you know, I struggle with the discipline of getting out of bed in the morning because I am i don't sleep well. But I want to spend that time every day in the Word of God. Yeah. Um, and, you know, life gets busy, but if you don't fence it off and say nothing disturbs this, it will.
0: Yeah. And i got to say, I actually was challenged at one point in my life too when I was going to the gym, you know, twice a day for at least half an hour to an hour each day, but I wasn't reading my Bible every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... How can I manage to prioritize this training and neglect this other one? And so if you are a gym junkie in any kind of sense, if you're not reading your Bible, don't go to the gym unless you've read your Bible first. It'll help make sure you read your Bible because you probably want to get to the gym and keep working out. But uh, this training is more important. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to uh, leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe so that you can come back and listen to us again next week when we hit the last two chapters of Timothy. And if you would like to get the show (laughs) notes, just head over to trainingforliferedeemed.com slash 35. You get a transcript there. Watch the video and join us. Leave us a comment. We, again, have videoed this one for you. So come and have a look. We've changed video angles and stuff. Changed our (laughs) lighting a little bit. Hopefully, it looks a bit better. Uh, Let us know if you like the videos and yeah, make sure you join us next week. Thank you very much.